And what does it look like to extend our love of what God has given us so that we can use that love that God has given us to push past the boundaries of these church walls or of your comfy community or maybe these racial and religious boundaries and into the lives of those who we don't normally associate with. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Praxis family. That was so nice to hear all your beautiful voices. It's lovely to see all your faces. My name is Kelly, and I am the intern pastor here at Praxis Ministry. And before we get started, I just want to say happy Black History Month. Yeah. Woo! Every day is Black History, and the month of February especially, we want to especially celebrate, love, and uplift our Black brothers and sisters in our community. And this month, we want to recognize the shared experiences of Black Americans and pay tribute to the generations of African Americans who struggled with adversity to achieve full citizenship and belonging in American society. It's a time for us to see how we can look at our past to create and to build a better future together. And so, if it weren't for the Black community, and for the civil rights movement, um, I wouldn't be standing here today, and many of us wouldn't have the same opportunities. So we are here to celebrate Black History Month. Um, the third week of February, um, on the 17th, uh, Dr. Andrea King will be speaking to us. But this whole rest of the month, um, I will be speaking on community and continuing the series of Community and Us. Phil has been preaching in the month of January, and then I've been teaching um, Sabbath school on Saturday mornings. So this month, we're switching off. I'll be preaching on um, Friday nights on the Book of Acts and focusing on redefining community. And Phil will be, preach or will be teaching Sabbath school tomorrow morning um, on Saturdays in the Praxis Room at 10 a.m. So that being said, before we get started, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here together on this beautiful Friday evening. So many things have happened this week, but Lord, I pray that whether it be school or work or life in general, that for the next few moments, you quiet our hearts and you still our minds. May the Holy Spirit open our ears, our hearts, our minds, and may the message that you speak through me be a message to show your love, your beauty, and your character. In your name we pray, amen. So what do you think of when I first say the word community? A few of you guys might think of, oh, a physical place. You know, a neighborhood that you drive by every single day could be known as a community. I know as a kid, I drove by lots of areas, and we lived in a really cute, uh, quaint suburban neighborhood that had a lot of tight-knit neighbor like neighbors and we would play hide-and-seek in the summers and we would share watermelon and popsicles during the summer it was super cute super fun um, and that was one way of thinking of community 
Some of us might think back to our hometowns of wherever we come from. I'm from Sammamish, Washington. Um, or maybe you're thinking of your community and college. Every time we think of community, we kind of think back to a physical location. Some of us might think of a place, and many of us might think of Loma Linda. This is our community, our place of community that we belong here. It's a physical and tangible city with physical and tangible people. But what does it mean to have a community or to truly belong to a community? I know of several people who travel several hours to get here on a Friday or Saturday and on a weekly basis because they consider this place and the people within it as their community. And so tonight I want to redefine the term of what community means as not a physical place, but as a network of safety and security and belonging. So as a kid, um, I'm a little nervous to share this story because it's kind of sad, but just hang in there with me. As a kid, I remember the first time I felt a little bit out of place and I felt like I didn't belong. My brother and I had started a new elementary school in Bellevue, Washington, and we were there in the 90s. And so our family had just moved from Overland Park um, in Kansas, Kansas City area, and we were new to this area in Bellevue, Washington. It was predominantly a white suburban neighborhood, and I just remember one time during lunch, some of the kids coming up to my brother and I and telling us to go back to where we came from. And little Kelly had no idea what they were talking about because I was like, oh, you mean like Kansas, right? Like, I didn't know what they were talking about. And so I went home and I told my parents and my mom had to teach me what discrimination was. And I was eight years old. So that was like the first time I really felt like I did not belong somewhere. There's also other times where I felt like I haven't belonged. I grew up in public school systems and being Adventist was really weird. Um, people would ask me like, why don't you go to Friday night football games? Or why are you picking the pepperoni off of your pizza? And as a 10 year old, I, had, I would explain like, obviously the Levitical laws of clean and unclean meat, you uncultured swine. I'm just kidding, I didn't say that. But it definitely made me feel like an outsider, and everyone else would just eat my pepperoni for me, and I would just pray over them, and be like, bless you, you poor souls. I'm just kidding, I didn't, I didn't do that. But I'm not sure about you, maybe you also have a story where you feel like you didn't belong, or you didn't feel safe and secure in your community. And so I want to challenge and ask you tonight, what would have helped you feel secure and safe and that you did belong. So tonight we go into the book of Acts, and that is in the New Testament. So we go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we read about Acts. And for some context, before we go into Acts chapter 10, specifically because we ended off on chapter 9 um, with Phil, but before that, the entire Bible and the entire gospel message and all of the Old Testament God and human flesh coming down to earth, living a perfect life, dying for our sins. This had been a message that was only available to the Jewish community. You were an insider if you were Jewish by birth because it was believed that the Jews were God's chosen people and everyone else was an outsider. You and I would have been considered uh, outsiders and Gentiles unless you were of Jewish descent, but... Fortunately, this was not always in God's plan. God has always intended to bless all families of the earth. His intention has always been that his love is to be inclusive. 
And we see inclusivity woven throughout the Old Testament. We see psalmists and prophets foretelling the day when God's Messiah would inherit to all the nations, that the Lord's servant would be their light, that all nations would flow to the Lord's house and God would pour his spirit on all of humankind. But the tragedy was that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism, which I think is actually quite a common thing to do. Like, as humans, we like to know that we're insiders and that others are outsiders. Um, but unfortunately, this became filled with racial pride and hatred. We see Gentiles are despised as dogs, and there are traditions developed to keep people apart. And we see that throughout human history. To understand this a little bit better in today's society, one biblical commentary writes this, no Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer, so even if you fear God, no Jews are ever allowed to enter the home of a Gentile or invite such into his home. On the contrary, all familiar interactions with Gentiles were forbidden, and no pious Jew would, of course, have sat down at the table of a Gentile. That was unheard of. This, then, was the entrenched prejudice, which had to be overcome before Gentiles could even be admitted into the Christian community on equal terms with Jews. And before the church could truly become a truly multiracial, multicultural society. So this is the cultural and historical context that we're now stepping into as we read Acts chapter 10. And I want to encourage you and ask you, as we read and talk throughout the night, where do you see safety? Where do you see security and belonging in this early church? So we enter into Acts chapter 10, and we now read about these awesome characters named Cornelius and Peter, which Cornelius is such a fun name. I love that name. Um, you can call him Corn for short. So we're going to call him Corn. First of all, um, these two, Corn and Peter, did not belong together. They were like oil and vinegar. And in verse 1, we read, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. But remember, he's a Gentile, so he's God-fearing. Still doesn't matter. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. That just sounds so nice. Like, this man is someone that I really want to meet. Like, Corn, I would love to be your friend and hang out with you. But during this time, again, um, he's a Gentile. And so because of that, um, we see that we can't be friends. If I was Jewish and he was a Gentile, we cannot be friends. Yet in the following verses um, of what we're about to read, we're about to witness the first Gentiles become a Christian believer through the apostle Peter. And this is significant as the salvation of Cornelius and his whole household will mark a key turning point. If you remember in the early church's commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says um, from, from um, I think it was Phil's message, but from back then it, it said it was a turning point because it was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth as Jesus had instructed before he left. He was going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because God and his love for us has always intended to be inclusive. 
And as a wise poet, Mariah Carey has always said, we belong together. So this has always been in his plan. So here in chapter 10, we see Cornelius, a Gentile, and he receives a vision. And then we see Peter, a Jew, also receiving a vision. And you may have heard of Peter's vision. We talk about it a lot in the church. Something like this, something that looks like a sheet comes down from heaven with all these animals on it, clean and unclean. And this voice is telling Peter to kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that, God. And it happens again, the voice is like, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happens three times. Peter wakes up confused and he, and through God's instructions, realizes, oh, there's actually something significant about this. There's a significance to this dream and he obeys God and goes to Cornelius's home. And this home is not just Cornelius just sitting there by himself. It's filled with Cornelius's, Corn's favorite Gentile friends and relatives. Can you imagine living in a society where everyone's like, you cannot be with these, these type of people in this race. And you, your whole life you're told you cannot associate with these people. There's literally laws made that if you are associating with them, you're discontinued. You're canceled. And so now Peter, Peter as a Jew, walks into Cornelius's home. He's being called by God to go into a home to talk to people that he's been told, you can never talk to these people because God's love is what? It is greater than all religious and racial discrimination. What do, what do we do when God calls us to do better? And what does it look like to extend our love of what God has given us, this gift that God has given us, so that we can use that love that God has given us to push past the boundaries of these church walls or of your comfy community or maybe these racial and religious boundaries and into the lives of those who we don't normally associate with. So we'll see what Peter does here. We see that when they meet, Peter realizes that what the vision means. And he says in verse 28, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Mind you, this is him walking into Corn's home. So he's like, you're well aware that I'm not supposed to associate with you and it is unlawful for me to associate or visit you. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And here in this instance, Peter liberated the gospel from its Jewish clothing and opened the kingdom of God to Gentiles, to people who are just small little potatoes like you and me. He becomes a safe person for Cornelius and for his whole family. We see that Peter listens to God, accepts Cornelius, and acts lovingly on God's behalf. He responds to the challenge of racial and religious discrimination and is used to be God's instrument in this very important development. For Cornelius was also instructed to be sent to him. And this is crazy because Peter wasn't originally a safe person. He was quite the opposite. He knows the rules. And the first thing he says when he enters Corn's home is like, hey, I can't be here. I can't associate with you. Can you imagine that? Like you walk into someone's house, you're like, Hey, what's up, Phil? Like, I'm not supposed to be here to see you. I'm going to get canceled, but I'm here to see you because God has called me to do so. So, and also what's crazy is that Cornelius knows this himself. You read in the Bible that Cornelius sees Peter and he falls to his feet and worships him. 
And Peter says, stand up. I am just another man just like you. This is so beautiful because eventually Peter speaks into Cornelius' home and says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who Lord who is Lord of all. And Peter recognizes this inclusivity of God's love and his character. And in the end, he ends up baptizing Cornelius and his whole family and friends. Cornelius now belongs to the community of Christians, and Peter and Cornelius together become a safe person. They become a safe network for a community of believers. We celebrate this beautiful story. We're like, wow, this is awesome. Yay, hooray. We see like Cornelius' family are saved now. We're feeling this like happy feeling of joy, but we're still missing the third aspect of a healthy and healthy Christian community. We have belonging, we have safety, but what does security mean in the midst of danger or threat? And what does it look like when your community advocates for each other? So immediately after this beautiful conversion story, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and he now goes to where his people are, all the Jewish people. And so we read in in chapter 11, verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Can you imagine? You're on this like spirit-led high. You're like, all these people got baptized in God's name. This is amazing. And immediately your superiors tell you that you've done something wrong. But Peter, boldly and courageously, knows that he's acting based off of what God has called him to do. So Peter tells him the whole story. He tells him the divine vision, the divine command, the divine preparation, the divine action of baptism, and he stands up and advocates for the Gentiles. And in verse 17, he ends with this. He says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When you become a safe person, when you become someone who can be trusted by others, when you become someone who people know this person won't judge me for what I say or for what I do, but they will simply love me, someone who will accept and love on whatever it is, you provide security as well to those in your community. And we see this in Peter's life as he speaks on the Gentiles' behalf and into the life of other Jewish members. And we see a change of heart, actually, in the Jewish community. They say in verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. We see the power of of God's inclusive love and his gospel. We see Cornelius, this Gentile soldier, seeker, and an outsider. And if it were up to me and you and we were the insiders, us as humans, we would not have chosen that. And yet God's plan is greater than what we can even imagine. That us as people of, of different backgrounds, ethnicities, and races can receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit and be welcomed into the Christian home on equal terms. This only goes to show the power and the love and impartiality of the gospel of Christ. I recall that as eight-year-old Kelly, and that story that I had shared with you earlier, an experience that I could never forget. And one, because it's so sad, 
because that was my first interaction of knowing what it meant to be an outsider. But two, it reminds me of what it means for me to be the complete opposite of that. I think any time that we have felt like we didn't belong, we think, how could I have done something? How could someone make me feel so incredibly sad, make me feel so incredibly on the outskirts of a community? And so now I ask myself, how can I use my words to uplift others and be a part of God's network of safety, of security, and of belonging? When I step into this space and praxis, I ask myself the simple prayer, or I ask God the simple prayer, God, show me who you want me to see today. And in each interaction with each person that I speak to, I ask myself, how can I uplift this person today? Ultimately, I ask myself, where can I serve? Where can I provide a space of humility and of love? And sometimes we're here for a season to provide community for those who need it most. There's a girl that I knew back when I used to work at a restaurant, and her name was Laika. And we used to actually party a lot together. This was back before Kelly actually like knew Jesus really well, so <laughs> this is me in the past. But I used to always go to church no matter what because my mom had always instilled in me this, like, really, really ingrained in me, you must go to church no matter what. So I would show up to church, like, no matter what. I'd stay up until, like, 5 a.m. partying my little face off, and I'd still show up to church. So I was close friends with this girl named Laika, and she was a part of the restaurant community that I was a part of. And every week, I would go to church, and we'd, we'd party, and she'd be like, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, I'm going to church. It's going to be great. You should come. And um, over time, I eventually realized that this wasn't the life for me, and there's a whole story behind that. I'm not going to go into it tonight. But there was one time when I was at work, and Laika approached me. She had this serious look on her face, and she was like, Kelly, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's something in my heart that's like empty, and I think it's God, but I don't know. It sounds kind of crazy. I asked some of our other friends. They all said, you're crazy. There's, that, that just sounds like, like witchcraft. Like I don't know what you're talking about. And I was so excited, and I said, Laika, thank you so much for reaching out to me because you know what? I was that safe space for her in that season. And I was able to speak to her in that moment and say, that is God. That is God calling on your life. That is God wanting to seek your life and to follow, for you to follow him and to ultimately know his love for you. So we did Bible studies um, and we ended up hanging out and talking about God. And it was, it was such a God moment for me to realize, wow, I have, a, I have a, a place in this community. Whether or not I feel like I truly belong in that community, but yet I was able to be a space of safety, of security, and belonging for someone else who didn't feel it in that season. So my challenge for you is this. How can you represent community with your own life? I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. But as you ponder this, there are several ways for you to represent community. And I'm going to name just a few ways, but um, ultimately it's up to you. So I want you to take this to heart tonight and and think of how you can, you can be a, a safe space for someone and to help someone to feel like they belong in your community. First, it's Black History Month. And so educating yourself on black history or the black experience is very important. Because when you are better educated, you can be a better ally, a better support, a better friend, 
and a better community member for others. There's two books that I highly recommend that I'm currently reading. One is the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. It is a very sad and gut-wrenching book, but I highly recommend it. It is beautifully written. And the second one is Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay. Reading by, While Black is written by someone who um, basically brings in this beautiful aspect of reading the scripture and gospels from a black perspective, and I highly recommend that as well. There are many more beautiful books that you can read, but these are two that are currently on my bookshelf. And I know that in America, we struggle for freedom, and especially within the black community. And so this is my ask of educate yourself and read these books or watch some YouTube videos. Second, clothe yourself in humility and kindness. Words of affirmation go a really long way. Um, I think when people know that all you, all you do is project these, this beautiful, kind um, God love that God has given to you, this gift that God has given to you, this love, all you can do is just give it back to others. I think when people see that and you come from a space of humility and kindness, it's like, hey, you're different and I want to know you more and I want a part to be a part of your community. I know that if those kids, when I was in second grade, had said something like, hey, you're different, you know what, I kind of want to get to know you. I think that would have changed so many things for me. Uplifting others and using your words as a tool to build each other up goes a really long way. And third, there's a famous quote that Pastor Jesse Churchill says every week um, when we go to Anthem, but he stole it from someone else, so he's not super original, okay, guys? Um, I'm just kidding, I love Pastor Jesse. So he says, you don't need to know everybody, but you do, do need to know somebody. And as you look around here, Praxis is a growing community and a growing ministry, and there's so many people here, and you look around, it's a little overwhelming, but my ask is that you get to know at least one person. Because here at Praxis, we value intimacy, we value vulnerability, and we want you to feel like you belong here and that there is a safe and secure place for you here at Praxis. Tomorrow night, we're having Saturday Night Praxis, and this is just a way for us to create and build that vulnerability and that intimacy here. We wanna be able to come together into a smaller setting to really get to know each other over a meal and some worship and games. And it's all about intentionality. And lastly, I want to invite you, and I want to remind you of Acts chapter 1 and 2. When we read about the early church, what defined community back then was four things. That included fellowship, the apostles teaching about Jesus, breaking bread and communing together, and praying together. And my prayer for you is that you will embody each aspect of that community, that you can do it either here at Praxis and become a part of God's work here in this community, or if this isn't your community, that's totally okay that you go back home, wherever your community is, and, and find your space of safety there as well. Just like what Peter did for Cornelius in Acts. In this time, I just want you to think of these things, but let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your divine gospel, for the calling that you've given to each and every person that we're here not just for a time to listen to a nice message, to say hello to someone, but Lord, we're here for an intentional community. God, that you came here as a living, breathing, tangible God 
and flesh, Lord, and that you died for our sins and ultimately you wanted us to become the hands and feet of God, to be the community that you have called us to be, to love on others, to provide a space of safety, security, and belonging. And Lord, I pray that as your people, that we take this to heart and that tonight we meet others and we greet others and that we love on each other. Thank you for your message and for showing us that your love is inclusive. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.